Adam Blair is more than just a footballer. He's a coach and an administrator, but of course, he's a former star of the league world, of the NRL, and of course, of the Kiwis. A former captain who, before the world, fought on the field and off the field to retain the mana of the Kiwi jersey and his Māori identity. Brought up by his grandfather, he went to Australia formerly as a rugby player and became a league star with the Melbourne Storm. And of course, he was a former Kiwis captain in a World Cup playing Tonga in Hamilton in a game many will never forget. This is Adam Blair's story. This is Indigenous 100. Adam Blair, Tenahue. Welcome to Indigenous 100. It's awesome to have you um, and a lot to talk about. But I just wanted to start <clears throat> by telling you a story. It's not a league story. League aligned. I worked on Māori Radio in Te Reo, and I used to talk to an old kaumātua every fortnight to get an NRL rap, mainly to do with the Warriors. Uh, and this old Komatua somehow would always crowbar the storm into the conversation. I couldn't figure out why. Always. Um, and then he'd crowbar into the conversation, a, a second rower, loose forward, uh, by the name of Adam Blair into the conversation. I kept going, what's this old fellow doing? Um, and it wasn't until oh, about a year later, which is, goes to sh- show you how slow I am. Ngāpohi, you see. Um, uh, that uh, it was him and Awaga who said, you know that old Komatu you're talking to? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a Campbell. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I talked to him full line. He goes, you know why he mentions the storm? I said, no. There's Adabe, that's his grandfather. That's Adam Blair's grandfather. I said, but they're completely different names. He goes, yeah, 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 that's his, that's his grandfather. And so your koro, mm. your krani papa, was my league expert, which is why he kept crowbarring yep. <laughs> the storm into conversation. Lovely old man, mm. and I think a very proud koro, mm. um, and would love to regale me with stories, as I said, about the storm, even though I was more worried about the Warriors. Um, didn't he, he wasn't doing it in a kind of fucking arrogant way. Mm. Um, he would just talk about you as if he was kind of a passionate observer. <laughs> and the reason why I wanted to open that story is because um, my understanding is, you, you know, you, you two are quite close. Yep. Well, we, um, yeah, now he's um, he's not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even the more reason why we were so close. Um, a big part of my, my journey was around him and, and the, the want for me to go over and and, and leave, leave Whangarei to go over there and, and chase the dream and, and, and go on that journey. Um, he was my manager at the time. Um, obviously, being your grandfather, he's like you just said. Um, he's passionate. He um, there's so much love. Um, he kind of brought us up in a way that he was, you know, losing my father at a young age. He was he was our our man of the house. Besides me being the oldest son, um, he was obviously my mum's shoulder to lean on when when um, when times were tough and. Uh, done everything for us as a, as a family, and have really fond memories of my, my my granddad and everything that he's done for us, and the knowledge that he had not only of um, you know me and rugby league, but just in in Tao Maori yes. and, and everything that he's done uh, for 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 Maori. Um, 
was remarkable, but a guy that I always lent on for guidance um, and just help when times were tough, especially when I was on my journey at a young age. Because he, he mentioned to me that you were pretty much brought up in the hokianga, mm. which I didn't know. Whereabouts specifically are the hokianga? Pangaru. Now, for the uninitiated, <laughs> where's Pangaru? It's like on the west. So if you go through the Mangamuka Gorge and you head west as far as you can go, um, that's pretty much where we are. Um, a little country town up there uh, where we had a family farm, which we still do have, uh, is where we grew up up there. And, um, you know, the best part of my growing up as a child was those memories, uh, being able to do whatever I would, wanted to do, mm. um, and still having a connection to home. It was some special times. Yeah, so as, as someone whose whānau is kind of um, in Waimaa, um, we always thought those pangaru fellows were a little <laughs> bit hotatu. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the lucky thing with us is that we weren't actually right in Pangaru. We were out of the outskirts of Pangaru. That's where our farm was. So oh. we weren't around everyone. So we were kind of like isolated in our own little space. Oh, so heading back towards so Kauringa. Kauringa, yes. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. so, yeah, heading back to the, if you've gone up to Pangaru, the big waterfall there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's part of our, our, our land there, the, the waterfall. And then that's that's our farm land just there. So that's where we live. So we're away from the, if if you think about town, the hustle and bustle of everyone. So... Oh, so you're a car meter, Campbell? Yes. Oh. Miti Miti. Yes. Yes, Miti Miti. Oh, the awful la himiona. Yeah. Yep. Oh. So we're all, fr- yeah, that's what we're Oh, so well, that explains it then. <laughs> that explains it. Because that car meter whanau, well, as you know, yep. uh, you know, um, and you won't say this, so I will. That car meter whanau is a well-regarded whanau. Uh, as you know, himiona car meter was the great scholar mm. of Ngāpui and of Hukianga. Tremendous family. Talented whanau. Mm. Talented. As I said, you can't say this, yeah. <laughs> but but talented whānau. Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Wow. So, yeah, my, my granddad was just passionate, you know what I mean? He's He loved, he cared for us um, and wanted us to make the most of our opportunities and hence why he, when there was an opportunity and you're obviously a, a Warriors fan back in the days, and <laughs> probably still are, um, an opportunity was to go to the Warriors, but he wanted me to go out there and explore the world and yeah. wanted me to go over to Australia and, and, and chase it. But my understanding is you weren't brought up playing league. Rugby yeah. all the way through. I loved it. Loved the game of rugby from the ages of five when you're running around in Kensington Park and Whangarei yeah, yeah. and bare feet um, right up with all my mates growing up and still good mates of a lot of those boys up in Whangarei now um, till, I, till I left Whangarei um, to go and learn the game of rugby league in Australia. But... Um, the way he used to talk about you was that actually you could have done anything, no matter what the sport was, because you were pretty handy, he said, at a whole bunch of different things. And um, But sport was kind of, uh, in his words, a fortunate thing for you because um, uh, there were some issues, <laughs> is, is the description that comes to mind. Um, but sport was an awesome outlet for you, and you were talented. It was the only, I guess, you know, when you grow up in a small place like, I guess, the Hokianga and Pangaru, um, you know, and at, at, from the young ages of 5 to 12 to 13, you could find yourself in a bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, but I was very grateful for, I guess, my upbringing up there, when, it, when you know, teaching and learning, I guess, respect, um, leadership, resilience, um, hard work ethic. You know, my dad used to have me running you know, in a rubbish sack trying to make sure that I lose weight to make all the rep teams, which 
mind you, weren't hard up in the Hokianga <laughs> to make the rep teams, but had me running the roads uh, in the truck. He was in the truck telling me to hurry up, and <laughs> I hated it. I'm, I'm not the best runner for you know, and although I've played all these games around that rugby league, I'm not the best runner. Um, but I had a, a real strong mindset of being competitive yeah. and not wanting to let anyone down, and I think I took that on my journey as well. I reckon, and and I people in the North Hokianga, you know, being a South Hokianga, we would say Hokianga A and big North Hokianga B. Um, um, there's a quarter about your tupuna, Taru Taru, um, is that when he was preparing for war, he was like, they would say, uh, um, that he was a great warrior coming out of his cave and, you know, literally ground would shake. Um, um, and that comes to mind because it seems to me that in your sporting career anyway, there's a bit of that that goes on, that um, quite mild-mannered as we're sitting here talking, but on the field you're kind of a completely different person. There's people talk about like alter egos that come out. Is that a fair assessment or is that something that you acknowledge? Uh, or? Yeah, well, I just think... Um you know, as as my journey went on, my career, and luckily at a young, at like a, a young age, I understood who I was and where I come from, and 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 where I belonged, and I tried to carry that with me. I guess I've had, you know, my my dad pass away at a young age, yeah. who would was a big part of what I did. So you know, I've taken the people of the north, Pangaru, my my dad, all the people that have gone before us, and you know when I get on that on that field, I take a look up to the sky, and um, that's who I represent. That's yeah. who I represent. So I do turn into, I feel like I turn into a Maori warrior. I go out there and and do whatever it takes to to be the best, to to compete, to win everything I do, um, to be the the toughest player to handle on the field, um, and that's the kind of the mentality I took. Throughout my career, even when I obviously represent New Zealand and that space is, it's a it's a moment of reflection of the journey that I've been on and to the people that have guided me into that space um, to be able to be fortunate enough to represent my country. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I acknowledge that every time I, I went to the field. And it's a proud tradition that continues, James Fisher. Yes, correct. Always being another being another boy from the from the North Hokianga. I mean, there must be an immense sense of pride that something that not you started but mm. that proud lineage. And a big part of that DNA that you carry onto the field continues now. Yeah, no, I think, you know, not not till you finish, you realise the impact that you've had on someone like James Fisher-Harris. And, you know, I've been in the camps just recently in the New Zealand camps and, and been able to sit with them and talk about, you know, my journey, but also talk about his journey and the things that he's been able to create now for the people up north. But again, he sat there and said to me, um, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing what I do. So, but you don't understand that till you actually finish the game and sitting down with these people. And I always kept a, a, a close eye on all our boys that come out of the north because I think it's an opportunity to be able to, you know, congratulate them first and foremost, but then follow their journey. And, and I'm real close with James through obviously our connection to home. Yeah. Um, and I like to, um, you know, reflect with him on on his journey as well, but also, um, you know, reflect on my journey about being, I guess, a, a role model and a leader for all those for all those kids in our rangatahi coming through the through well, the pathway. Well, as you know, there's thousands of those Harrises. Yeah. It's about time they're they everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> about time they got one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but what's that like though when someone says something like that about you? Because you know, it must be emotional. 
hearing something like that, particularly someone who's played so well mm. uh, and, and also is now, like you, a captain of mm. the national team. Oh, I, I, yeah, well, I guess it's, it's, it's touching. It, it's, um, you know, it's, it's rewarding because, you know, when you're on that journey, you don't actually, I, don't, I didn't actually think about that when I was on that journey about I am a role model. Um, for those kids, but when I sat back and reflected, that's when I realised that. So, you, you never thought that throughout your career. No, I, as I got a bit older, I think that's when. Because when I got older, I un, I, I, I understood life a little bit better. Uh, when you're a young kid coming through the grades, you're just trying to get through and 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 make it and try and represent. But at the same time, I didn't think that I was a role model at that time. Um, but as I got older, that's when I realised, no, whatever I do, and, and you, you, get a, you have a family, that's when you become that person that you're a role model, not only for, for your kids, yeah. uh, your family, but everyone back home. So it took me a while to realise that. And being able to sit with James and, and talk about those and have those conversations, but then passing that knowledge to him now for him to pass to the next generation, because now I'm in the background. He's now our... Our, our warrior for, yeah. for the North, and, and he's the one that's going to be paving the way for our next kids coming through. Why league? I just got an opportunity, um, and like everything I do, um, I give everything a crack. Um, I never say no to something. Um, if someone said, do you want to have a go at this? I'll say yes, and that's what I did. I just I took an opportunity. Um, I got given two years to go over and learn the game, um, and I thought I was coming home after two years, but enjoyed it so much that I was hoping that the storm kept me on and signed me long term, and they did. Um, and just fell in love with, I guess, the physicality of the game. Um, I played rugby, and I moved from fullback to wing to to second five to centre, then into the forwards because I just loved the being on the, the ball, the being tough, off. Yeah. toughness yeah. about it. And I thought I was a bit of a waste out wide. So um, league gave me gave me that outlet where it was a competitive thing a competitive game where it was you and me and it's you've got to get the best of each other and and only the best win um, and you've got to turn up every day you've got to make sacrifices and I think that that's what made me who I who I, who I am today is you know I've, I gave everything a crack I took up every opportunity I could and um, the rewards the rewards were, were fourth but of course the legendary caught it all about the storm. Is that it's hell of a tough, mm. particularly in preseason yep. and you know everything that goes in that preseason program, and obviously it works because of the storm and the proud history that the storm has. Um, but as you said, you weren't someone who liked running. Hate, hated <laughs> it. Um, I went to the, the, I went. I did my first preseason when I was uh, two thousand and three. I think I was sixteen, um, and I was. The, we went on army camp. This was um, Craig Bellamy's first time as coach for Melbourne Storm, so he was changing the mentality and the way the club works. Yeah. Um, he wanted tough, tough, play, mentally tough players, and guys that could just defend well. So we go on an army camp, um, and that army camp changed changed my life, for 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 the better. But at the time, at the time, I was like, man, I'm not going to play rugby league because I, I want to cry, I want to cry, I want to run away. But we didn't know where we were. I, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Um, there's no, I'm not going to make it. Um, but coming out of that. Um, gave me that that mental side of understanding that you know our our mental space is a, is, a, is a strong space to be in. If you can overcome some of these obstacles and put yourself in these situations where you can come out of it and take yourself to a dark place and and push through those barriers, then 
You can do anything. So this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. How do you overcome it? Because for us mere mortals who, um, I said that, Kaikara uh, France that you know don't spend a lot of time in the gym um, as surprising to you as that may seem um, just from first glance obviously um, but for, for a lot of us that seems we think it's easy to break how do you maintain yourself so that you don't end up breaking where it is really difficult and challenging mentally and physically how do you overcome it oh, I think for me and through my whole journey, it's about facing facing it first and understanding what it is and recognising recognizing the challenge. Um, and then it's having that good support around you to be able to push through. Um, I've, you know, throughout my whole journey, I've had all these challenges around, um, you know, you're not good enough or, you know, the media pressure outside. And especially in our game, it's results driven. And if you're not performing well, there's pressure on you to not, not, not be there or you're on all this money, you should be playing at this sport. The thing I, I I took took out of all of that stuff, and it was my I guess my upbringing, um, the resilience that I I learned at a young age, um, and being really mentally tough through some tough periods and tough times as a young kid, but then also my my journey started down at the in the Melbourne Storm where I was put in some dark places as a young kid, and if I didn't find my way out of there, I would have been back in in Whangarei or back in the in the Hokianga where I thought if I if I just faced it faced the obstacle. Um, and recognised it, and then found a way to overcome. Yeah, that was that was my, my way of working things out. Because that that would have been the easier way out. Is go. This is too hard. Mm. I'm going to go home. Yeah. So what what kept you on the path? So I know facing the obstacle is what you're thinking in your mind. <clears throat> but what what did you have a sense in your own mind at the time that if I do this, I can end up being. Uh, not just a good rugby league player, but actually a really great rugby league player. Was was that something already in your mind, or were you just thinking, I've just got to get through this next bit? Oh, I just didn't want to let people down. And, and I guess, you know, from the start of our conversation, my granddad was a big part of that. Is I didn't want to be that person that let someone down that had all this love and aroha for me that wanted me to go on this journey and going back there to most probably face him was was most probably a fear of mine not to do really um yeah because they 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 wanted this for me um and i and i didn't want to let anyone down i didn't want to let the, the people of the hokianga down i didn't want to leave leave, leave um whangarei down because people went on that journey with me even if i didn't know that they all went on that journey with me and thought that I was going over to play NRL. Luckily, it all, all paid off. Um, but there was times there where it was it was tough. And the the reflection and reflecting back on that, it was it was my granddad that got me through those tough periods. It was calling him and asking him for advice. It was um, not wanting to let him down, not wanting to let my, my brothers and sisters down. Those are the people that I, I spoke to that believed in myself that gave me that little extra motivation to go out and and keep pushing through it and being, I guess, proud of who I am, but then being tough in, in those tough moments. How many games of league had you played before you went over as a 16-year-old to the Storm? Uh, three. <laughs> three games. And I was just filling in because we had a, a mate from up in Whangarei said, hey, we need some players to fill in for a trial uh, down in Hibiscus Coast. We'll grab a couple of the rugby boys. So myself, my brother, and a couple of our mates, we just went down and we ended up making the league team. And we're like, oh, how are we going to play this? They said, oh, well, you'll play rugby on Saturday and then we'll travel down the Hibiscus Coast and we'll play um, league on Sunday. I said, oh, oh, well, if we can get a van of all the boys, then 
we can we can make this work. So I got to play with my my younger brother, and from there we got selected in the team. Um, I played three games because I got injured, and then went over to Aussie and mucked around in the game over there, and then got picked up that way. So I didn't even know the game of league. I just <laughs> I was running around like a headless chook chasing the ball, and they were like, "Bro, what are you, what doing? Are you doing?" And I said, "I don't know. Like I'm just trying to tackle someone." And, <laughs> And they said, no, 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 you just have to stay on this side of the field or this side of the field. I'm like, oh, bro, this game's easy. I don't have to run anywhere. Just give me the ball. So I I just, yeah, that's where it all started for me. And, yeah, it was three games deep into rugby league and I had no idea what I was doing. I just was running around off my mates having a bit of fun. So when did you actually think, I can be pretty good at this game? Oh, I don't ever think, I didn't ever think I was going to be any good at at rugby league, I even before I even went down full time into the Melbourne system, there was no thought in my mind that I was ever going to make it. While so I was so even there. after that two year stretch, you know, when you got signed as a yeah. full time player, even then you didn't think mm, nah, I'm okay at this. There, there was a time in two thousand and five where it could have gone either way for me, where I could have just gone and got a trade, which I started to go and get a trade because I think I was thinking, geez, I'm not going to make it here. I better make sure I look for a job. Same same thing again. I didn't want to go home because I didn't want to face the music. <laughs> um, so same thing. I, I spoke to my my mum and my granddad and said, hey, um, if, if, if I don't make rugby league, I'm going to get a trade. I'm not coming home. I'm going to stay there. And they said, whatever you do, we'll support you. Um, so there was a moment there that I didn't think, uh, and a time that I didn't think I was going to make rugby league. Um, gratefully that, you know, you need a bit of luck on that journey uh, and an opportunity. And there was someone that was injured and, um, down at the Melbourne Storm at that time, and you know I wasn't wasn't in the best shape body wise, but they saw the potential and the talent in me that if I did work hard, I could be an opportunity of playing for the Melbourne Storm. So I took that opportunity as as a challenge to go and challenge myself and make the most of this one opportunity that you got, I got, and I just got lucky. Do you reckon if you'd gone to another club at that time? You could have still been a great player, or could it only have ever ended up this way if you'd gone to the Melbourne Storm? Um, yeah, I think you know my foundations were laid at, at the Melbourne Storm. Okay. Um, I don't think that I could have gone anywhere, and, and if even if I look back, I don't think I would have. So everything I did in the game of rugby league, my foundations all started at the Melbourne Storm, and I carried that on through my whole career. I never changed. The way I played, I added a few things to the toolkit, but I didn't really change, you know, work ethic, uh, desire, and want to compete uh, because all those things were installed in us at a young age at the Melbourne Storm. And I don't know if I would have got that from any other club, but the only other club that I had the opportunity to either sign to was the Warriors at that time. I can't, you know, hindsight's a, a pretty cool thing, but if I think about it, you know, the Storm got me to where I was yeah. because of all the hard work that I had to put in and the, the hard work that they instilled in us. Did it also help, because obviously geographically Melbourne's a different city to Sydney, yep. not as much of a media glare obviously because you know um, Aussie Rules is a, is a big sport in Melbourne, right? Takes up all, most of the front pages and back pages, sports pages of the, of the newspapers over there. So that, did that kind of help, particularly as a young fella? Not having so much of this media attention, not as much social media happening at the time. So it was a confluence of kind of factors happening which, which helped. Yeah, a really good start to an introduction to rugby league. And 
I guess, not been in the spotlight. Uh, because like you said, you know, I've done Sydney. Hmm. Um, we didn't watch too much rugby league down in Melbourne. It was all about us. And, and you build a real, real strong family connection between the group of men and the partners and the kids that were there at the time. Um, even if you're a young kid, you still you still like feel like you belong to something. Um, but you know the amount of vision that we did on op- on oppositions gave me my foundations to understanding the game of rugby league even more. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I thought when I left the Melbourne Storm that I knew everything about the game because we done that much stuff on rugby league in there because that's what they do. Um, that I knew a lot about the game before I even got on the field. Um, so. You know, having not having that pressure around us, measurably, um, helped a lot on my on my journey and understanding. You know what comes with the pressure of being a professional athlete without being in the spotlight. Um, having the likes of I guess Cooper Cronk, Cameron Smith, mm. uh, you know Greg Inglis, all those guys taking um, Billy Slater who take the the spotlight away from people around them because they are so good at what they've done. Me as a player sat at the back and not didn't have to say a word, just had to go get my job done every week because those guys were good enough to do what they do. And I do want to talk about when you leave the storm eventually, but um, just to take back a bit, I mean, it must be, um, you must learn a lot just from os- osmosis when you're sitting with people like mm. the likes of which you've talked about. I mean, oh, gee, Greg English. Oh. Um, but, you know, Cooper Crock and as you say, all, all those legends of the mm. game now. You must just learn a lot from just sitting there and watching. Yeah, well, they, I guess, you know, I've got to thank Cooper Cronk for my career as well because, you know, I played outside and yeah. a lot of my time down, 121 games I played down at the Storm and a lot of that was outside Cooper Cronk and um, we know what he's done in the game and the premierships that he's won and the amount of, you know, origins he's been involved in. Um, he guided me through a lot of my journey as as a player, as a as an edge back rower to learn the game. So you know, and then I guess watching them like as a player, then watching them in the Origin Arena and understanding that those are your mates that you play off week in week out, and seeing what they can do, um, only gives you a lot more gratitude in what we create at the, what we created at the Melbourne Storm. Were you ever approached to play Origin and then potentially end up playing for Australia. Yeah, when I when I left um, when I left home, I played actually I played um, Queensland 16s as a kid. Um, man, I loved it. <laughs> oh, I loved the whole Queensland spirit. Uh, you know the you know the Queensland the core. Um, I'm a massive fan of Queensland. My wife's from Queensland, but um, I played um, under 16s, under 17s, Queensland, and. Um, I just love the the rivalry that they have as, you know, New South Wales and Queensland and the whole conversations, and I'm sure they still bring these up, is about the past and what they used to do. And the first thing they said is, we get in the first scrum where we're having a fight. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm fresh. I'm fresh from up north. I think you don't have to ask me twice. You know, you don't have to ask me twice. Get us in the scrum. Let's go. So the whole camp, besides having a couple of training sessions, they're all talking about who's going to throw the first punch. And I'm thinking, wherever I am, I'm coming from, you know, 10 men in just to throw a punch because this is what we're talking about. So, and I think the first scrum we had there there was there was a there was a a punch thrown and we're straight into it and that's that's the the spirit of what they have when it comes to Queensland (laughs) and then I think we got to 19s and then there there was an opportunity there where they said you either got a you got we got picked in Queensland 19s and they said you either got to pick New Zealand or Australia and with with no hesitation I you know New Zealand's home um and that's when another reflection comes is like who 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 do I want to represent and why do I want to represent it and 
there was no other feeling for me that day was to say, sorry, I'm out of the team, I'm playing for New Zealand. Yeah, it wasn't also um, fear again of the grandfather and mother. And <laughs> oh, no, well, because I felt like I was, you know, leaving home. I was like, see you later, no one's going <laughs> to tell me what to do, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, oh, man, I'm... I'm sick of people telling me what to do. Um, I'm just going to just be a kid and just have fun. And um, there was no thought that crossed my mind that, um, you know, if I was to choose one or the other, that someone would, you know, tell me off for doing it. But I, I knew what I wanted to do in my heart, that yeah. New Zealand is home. And, you know, I could have been away from New Zealand for 20 years and still New Zealand's still going to be home for me. So there was no way that I could stand in front of a New Zealand team watching the haka and and not singing the national anthem. So um, I chose to represent home. You were known for uh, traits, behaviour, <laughs> of, of not being backward and coming forward whenever there was a bit of a melee. Uh, there's a situation with um, a man by the name of Glenn Stewart, which comes to mind. <laughs> And I, I do want to unpack that. Um, and I know you blame that on your Northland fucker papa. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but um, I, I always, I always felt like the media was a bit unkind to you. It was like they used, it was like this used to follow you around. And I, well, my argument to many other people, perhaps again due to our um, connections by fucker papa, was no, no, it was, it was never his fault. I mean, if you if you watch footage, it was always something would, that happened, and it just happened to be that you were geolocated in the same sense. <laughs> Situation, but but you had this kind of reputation of someone who wasn't backward and coming forward and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, I think I got a lot of the reputation of being a grub on the field. Um, but I like, I think when I finished up the game, and I'll go back to the manly stuff. When I finished the game, I wanted to be that player that everyone wanted to play with, but hated playing against. And that's kind of the reputation I wanted to have when I finished. Uh, and when people ask, you know, what what legacy did you want to leave on leave when you finished? That that was it. As someone that done everything for my teammates but everyone hated playing against and I felt like that's where that reputation come from is that I, I wore my heart on my sleeve and I try to do everything for my teammates and my teammates were my brothers on the field so if anything happened I wanted to be in there amongst it getting amongst it and if I look at that manly fight yes I ran about five men deep into this <laughs> fight when there was already six people in there but you could do it. You're allowed to. It was there, there was no rule saying you can't run in and throw an uppercut into someone. And, and, <laughs> and but that's the that's what the game is. That that's what the game had back then. We were allowed, you're allowed to do that. And and I guess that just transpired to the stuff off on on the on the way off to the sideline. Now, that was all. You know, I think you don't get that much time on the field to either stand there and try and shape up and and throw punches. Um, so so okay. for the un uninitiated. Um, there was this game in Manly, and as you say, there was a melee, and you found yourself um, not close to it, but eventually in it. <laughs> and then the ref makes a call. And I think you, you're sent off first, and then Glenn Stewart. No, Glenn Stewart. Glenn Stewart's sent off first, that's right. And then and he gets sent off, and then you're making your way off. And um, I've talked to Kevin Tarmati about what happened with him and, <laughs> and Dowling. And he, he said words were exchanged, yeah. and he wasn't the one who said the first mm. word. And when other words were exchanged, he said, there's no way I'm letting this guy get away with mm. it. Were there words exchanged? It was exactly what it was. I In Melbourne, we, we had a, a rule that you run to everything that you do. You don't walk. Yeah. And my mindset going off the field, it wasn't to go and chase Glenn Stewart and try and... It was to get off. It was to get off the yeah. field as quick as I can so that, um you know, the 10 minutes can yeah. start. 
Uh, but on that on that journey to the sideline, um, the words were exchanged. He he said something to me um, in in a way that I didn't like, and so I, I I asked him, you know, and said something back to him. And then by that stage, it was it was he grabbed my jersey, I grabbed my jersey, and it, it's it's going down. You say that a conversation, <laughs> the way the way you describe the conversation is awfully diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> There was a problem. I tried to solve the problem. <laughs> you tried to solve the problem verbally. <laughs> Once that problem couldn't be solved yes. verbally, yeah, I got to take actions into your own hands. And, and then, of course, his brother Brett yeah. runs yeah. a marathon. Yeah, yeah. To help out his brother, and at one stage he's like five on one, and mm. I was sitting there going, "Oh, this is un- this is uncouth." <laughs> you know, Alphanone is at the bottom. Here. <laughs> this, is, this is uncouth. Um, but you know, and we, I know we're laughing about this, uh, and there'll be people going, "Hang on." You know, this isn't this isn't what sport um, sport should be, um, but was the tone of the conversation as such that you couldn't let it lie that it, that something had to be done? Well, you you just knew that between both of us, yeah, and I guess the rivalry already built that up between the the, the storm, the storm, and, and Manly, and it wasn't really we we didn't hate the the, the seagulls, um, but they hated us. Um, and I've I've had this conversation with Kieran Foran, and Kieran Foran was on the field at the same time, and he was a part of this this little ruckus on the sidelines. And and I was having conversations not long ago, and he said, "Man, we just hated the guts of you guys." And I was like, "Well, well we didn't hate you guys, to be honest. We just yeah. went, you know, we went out there to try and win games." And so there was already a built-up rivalry with us, without us even knowing that that they hated us. So from the get-go of the game, you could feel the arms and you could feel all this niggly stuff. And yeah, I, I, I'm I'm all for the niggle. If if, if you're going to give it, we got if you're going to give it out, you're going to expect the copper. You know what I mean? So so that's where it all extended from. And then it just obviously went to the sidelines. And yes, a lot of um, people, you know. And I guess if I look back on that, man, like I had a young son at that time. Um, and my wife was at in Melbourne, and she's getting messages saying, "Hey, is your husband okay?" And then she's like, "Well, what's wrong? I, you know, <laughs> the games aren't on till twelve o'clock in yeah. in Melbourne." She's like, "Oh, I think he's just got an, he's just sent off the field." So she's messaging me. I'm on the bus, and she's like, "You okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just got sent off. Had a fight on the field, so um, I'm just in the bus waiting for the game to finish." Um, she goes, "Okay, all good." Yeah, <clears throat> I know you didn't hate Manly, but Brookvale was a hole. Oh. <laughs> It's not the yeah no it's not the best place to play to be honest in the game of rugby league like there are better stadiums um, yeah it, yeah Brookie wasn't the best place eh? okay um, I, I want to go back uh, a bit to um, World Cup final um, Kiwis and the Kangaroos and um, the hucker for that game because because at the time. It was the week before the fortnight before you played Aussie. Yeah, we played And it was a bit them, yeah. of a telling. Mm. And there was a lot of criticism at home, and you're probably aware of it, because the media at home were going, oh, you know. And on paper, that Australian team was a great oh. team. They had everyone oh. in that team. So good. Um, and here's what I remember about it the most, is the haka. And I thought, oh, I think this could go a different way. Mm. And... Um, Again, in the Haka, you were someone who kind of took a bit of a leadership role. Mm. You know, I, I know um, there are others, obviously Benji and, and a lot of the Māori boys, um, you know, in the team and Lukey as well, you know, the, mm. yeah, Kai and all that kind of thing. But um, you in particular, um, there was a part in the Haka where I, I thought you'd kind of drawn a demarcation line, mm. which is to say, 
it's on from now. And um, two weeks ago was two weeks ago. Yeah. And this is and this is different. Could you feel? Um, you know, um, Kalis is your captain. Was there, was there something that was done or said, or could you feel that you're on the brink of something? And it kind of um, evolved and took concrete form during the haka to say, you know, we're 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 up for this. Had that had that been, or did it just happen? Well, it's funny you bring it up because um, only this morning I just chucked something up on social media. Um, Fifteen years today, um, you know, the World Cup '08. And um, my wife actually posted it up about, um, you know, me scoring a try in there and, um, you know, how long ago it, it has been. And, and I quickly, I was only watching it. I was actually watching some of that 08 grand final maybe three or four days ago just because it kept coming up in my memories. Um, man, that week was, and like you said, we, 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 we got a hiding from the Aussies. Um, and, you know, we weren't expected to win win against them, and they had the best team. Like in rugby league terms, if if you're a passionate rugby league fan, man, their team was stacked, and they had some, Nokia Thurston oh. English. <laughs> and you and you look look at them now, and you go, they're they're nearly all immortals of the yeah. game, uh, and they were they were crazy good. I think that the we played. I think we played England the weekend before uh, to get into the final, and I think that that Monday. You could just see the shift in everyone's mindset and their eyes that, like that week was going to be special. Um, and I, I remember telling my wife quite clearly that we were going to win the game, although she's Australian. That you know that that there was no one that was going to beat us on that day. And I think every training session, every day, we'd walk around. You could just feel everyone a little bit taller. How does that, how does that happen though? Because that that's the the indecipherable thing that every sports team looks for. Mm, I think it's, you know, the one thing that, you know, when it comes to being the best you can is believing that you're the best. Um, and individually, and we're in a team sport, so everyone had to believe that. So I could believe it, but I needed everyone else around us to do it as well. And I was only 23 when I looked back at it, so I was early in my career. But I, even I had um, the feeling that day that we we could go and, and do something special. Um, and some of our boys got some haircuts that were like, <laughs> something I never seen out of the book, you know, like those haircuts are now trending now. You know what I mean? Those boys were running these these haircuts um back in 08, you know, last of the Mohegans uh stuff where it's a skinhead and mullets at the back and I'm thinking, wow man, these guys mean business. And I remember straight off the kickoff, you know, I just watched Sam Rapita just run yeah. as hard as he could with just with everything he had and I just knew from that kickoff that Today is going to be a special day, and there was no doubt in my mind after seeing that run that we were going to lose that game, and everything kind of went our way too. We had a again, you got to create your own luck. We had a bit of luck on that day, but the belief and I guess you know the mana that everyone had on that day was was something something out of nowhere. They just come up out of nowhere, and I guess when you go back, to, we reflect on that haka, and every haka, and especially that one, you know, being being a young Maori kid. You know, and been really not not too really early in my rugby league career. I wanted to, and you know, alongside Isaac Luke, who we kind of went on a journey together through yeah. the Kiwi space. We wanted to, you know, throw down the challenge right there and then, and put a land, uh, you know, a mark in the sand and say, Nah, today's our day, and whatever we're gonna do, we're gonna do everything because we're calling on everyone to help us. And that's how it felt. Is you know, in those moments that I talk about, we reflect back on. 
our our journeys and the people that got us there and our tūpuna and and we're representing New Zealand and and you know when we do haka we're 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 asking for our our tūpuna to give us the strength to go out there and do everything we do. Um, you know we're stomping on the ground because that's that's what we do. So that day was one of those special moments where, man, nothing was going to stop us that day because we got so much strength from beneath and above that we were going to we we're going to be unstoppable. Can I ask you a really hard question? Go for it. <clears throat> um, who's the better coach? Wayne Bennett. <laughs> yep. Or you're, you're a great coach from, from the Melbourne Storm and the man that picked you up in 2005 and obviously spent a lot of time with him. Who's the better coach? Man, I, I love um, Wayne as a, as a, a person and as a mentor um, and I think he'd done, he, alongside, um, you know, Steve, Steve and that thing gives you the belief to be who you are, um, and allows you to express yourself in a way that you, you play. And I think, you know, I had, I had him in 08 in a, a small capacity, but then as I got older, um, and at the Broncos in 15, wanted me, wanted me at the club because of who I who I was and, and what I could do, not only for the team, or not only for myself, but the younger kids coming through, Māori and Pacifica mm. kids. And I think I really understood who I was as a person by then that I knew my role as a, as a, as a player, as a, as a person was to start giving back to our, our kids coming through. Mm. And he really mentored me through that space, um, but gave me the belief, which is a big thing when it comes to sports, is having a coach that believes in your ability and what you can create on the field, not only on the field, but off the field. And that's what he done for me. Um, Coaching-wise, you know, and I said it earlier, like everything I learned and carried through my career was all come from the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. And, and my learnings of the game, um, you know, was all come from down there. What I What I did on the field, and off the field all come from from my time in the Melbourne Storm. They they paved and gave me those foundations to be the player I was and, and the person that I could be on and off the field. It's a very diplomatic way of not answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> but really both good people. <laughs> well done. Well done. I'll take the hint. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, media introspection and investigation. You copped a lot of flack once you left the storm, and you talked about the reasons why you went to the to the Broncos uh, at that time. But you copped a lot, you you copped a lot of flack, generally mm. speaking, from media because mm. of the way in which you played the game, which was tough, which was hard, and there was some cynicism about the way in which you played the game sometimes. But particularly, it seems to me at that time in the Broncos, you got a lot of heat, lots of people throwing stick at you. Um, you know, there were some amazing amounts of numbers that people were talking about in terms mm. of what you were earning. What's it like? when all of that happens, to, how do you deal with that? And people will say, oh, you know, family and friends and support mm. mechanisms and all that kind of stuff, but it's still tough, Adam. Oh, it's, it, it changed me but made me stronger, not only as a person but with my, my wife and my kids made us so much stronger and more connected together. Um, the one person that gave me most of the slack was Gordon Tallis. Um, you know, he, he over my years... Um, you know, whatever club I played for, it just didn't either. He didn't like the club, or he didn't like me as a, as a, as a player. Uh, I've never 
met him personally and, and, and had a sit down and, and had a conversation with him. I think he'd change his mind if he actually sat down, and <laughs> sat down and had a chat with me and we just had a coffee and had a yarn and had a laugh. Like, I, I don't. I don't disrespect him. Yeah. I, I know it's part of his job, but I just think some days when there there is a limit to the abuse you can take, and I think some days, you know, I, and this is where my wife comes into a lot of the stuff where she's like, oh, I'm, why doesn't he just message you and say, hey, you want to come and get to have a coffee? Because he, she goes, people only see what you do on the field, and that's part of our, our, our jobs. Yeah. They don't know you from outside of the, the rugby league rounds because that's all they see. So um, those were the hardest times for me, I reckon, leaving Melbourne um, because, one, I wanted to leave to challenge myself as a, as a person. Um, yes, financially it was good for my family, um, but I thought, you know, every club was the same. That was my most really wrongdoing is thinking that I was going to go from the Melbourne Storm and the West Tigers were going to be the same club as the Melbourne Storm, but I got all of that plus more when I went there. Um, and the pressure of going as a marquee signing, which always comes with being a marquee signing and all this money. And yes, the media say you get all this money, and and but you're only worth as much as someone wants to pay you. Mm. Uh, but again, you've got to perform at the same time, and that's a big part and parcel of being a professional athlete. Was the the toughest time, though? I really loathe to bring this up because. Um, uh, because I watched that 2017 World Cup game, and you you were the captain. Yeah, <clears throat> yep. Um, uh, you know, against Tonga. And um, I mean, first of all, what an atmosphere! Mm. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, but the, the result doesn't go your way. Yep. Was that the toughest time as a player? Oh no. Not? No, no, I don't. Okay. No, I think that I um, yeah, two thousand seven was it was a tough time for for New Zealand rugby league and me being the captain of the the Kiwis at that time. Um, but there was a lot of shifting going on in the background before we got into to be be able to be selected uh, in the team. I think Stephen Kearney gets the new role at the yeah. Warriors, um, and there's like six weeks to go before the end of the season, and they they're scrambling to find a coach. Um, the next in line is obviously David Kidwell, mm. who at the time has only been assistant coach, has had not done too much of coaching at that high elite level. Um, but before then, there was a couple of incidents from players um, where um, you know they're doing stuff in the media that they got caught up in, and previous previous to that, there was the the Steel Knock stuff over and the Red Bulls over mm. and with Sonny Bill and the boys over in uh, the UK. Yeah. So there was a lot of trouble leading into that 17 so it didn't actually go to plan as they would like to and then you get a, a rookie coach coming in trying to um under pressure from i guess uh nzrl to be able to keep these players under control after all the stuff that's been happening outside of the the place so a lot of that 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 um they brought a lot of, um, this is when I think the change of the Australian people started coming into the New Zealand frames. They brought a lot of Australians in to try and uh, change the culture uh, because of all of what's happened in the past. And most probably the, the big reflection on that for me was there was a lot, of, lot more meetings and actually training on the field because um, they were trying to find ways how we can 
change the culture and the behavior of the, the New Zealand Kiwis. And that must and, have been frustrating for you. And as as a as a as a captain and talking to the coaches, our hands were kind of tight. As I'm like, we can't be doing this many meetings because there's a more important thing for us is to win the World Cup or get to the final or win games, rather than sitting here trying to put rules around why we do what we do because you put rules around anyone and especially in our game of rugby league people will go and break them and and that's what a lot of our that campaign was around what is our culture who are we what are values these kind of things and we get a lot of that anyway in general through your journey at clubs and that just didn't didn't work for us um and the results showed we we didn't we didn't perform to the best we could um, we had a real inexperienced group of players at that time. A lot of our leaders weren't involved then, um, whether it was due to injuries or, or whatever, but a lot of people pulling out of the camp and jumping over to yeah. Tonga, which was okay because I'm all for it. Um, at the time, it's you know I'm, I'm passionate about New Zealand and I want people that want to be as passionate as I am. Not If you don't want to be there, that's fine. Go yeah. and represent whoever you want. So a lot of puzzles were moving in the background, but... It was moving too quick and nothing was actually set in stone. So the campaign goes on and we come up against a, a, a strong Tongan side and, and a, a great atmosphere down in, at Hamilton. And one of the most probably the best atmospheres I've played in when it comes to, to rugby league and I've played in some grand finals. Mm-hmm. But man, that was red and that day you could kind of feel, I think we had it early in the early in the you, piece. You were up, yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and with any of those Pacific teams, you give them a sniff, they just come hard, and that's what they did in that second half. We try to overplay our hands, and they just come in and just took it away from us. Um, so that was a a tough tough game to lose. But then you go to Wellington, yeah. Yeah. you know, and you reflect back on that Wellington game, and you come up against a Fijian team who have got quality players, mind you, but a game that we should have won. Um, <laughs> being being a New Zealand team. And no disrespect to the Fijian team at the time is that we we should have won that game. Um, I learned a lot about I guess leadership as a as a whole that 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 campaign. Around, what did you learn? Around about you know how I can I guess being in tough situations and how I can communicate what we need to do next. Um, that was that was the biggest learning and and being calm under pressure. That was most probably some of the good learnings for me. As I as I, I reflect back on that, it, the biggest one was being calm under pressure. Is all right, bring bringing a group of young men together where they're looking for me for help, and being able to tell them directly or as a group, boys. We're still in this game. This is what we got to do next. Let's just get back to what we do really well. Um, those are some of the learnings that I learned about myself. Um, but then reflecting back again, um, a lesson that I I really, I guess I I look back and go, and I I sometimes I need you need some of those situations in in, in, in sports as an athlete. You don't want them, but sometimes they make you better for the run. And you know, out of that, you know, being calm helped me understand me as a leader and how I can speak to players under pressure. And I just took that after that, I took that upon myself to be able to reflect first, understand what I what I did right and wrong, but then use that in a way that I can be better next time in those situations. Mm. Is, it, is it hard? Because people talk a lot about those who play professional sport. <clears throat> There's lots of systems and processes and you get so used to it. When you eventually decide to hang up the boots, it's really hard to go back to what people might call civilian life. Mm. 
I mean, is it that hard? I love it. Oh man, I'm. I could go in the bush, and just go live on off the land, man. Like <laughs> that. That's my happy place is in the bush next to the ocean. Like I could do that any day of the week and not have to worry about seeing anyone, talking to anyone ever again. But I do hear of real p- people that do struggle after the game because. Why have you been so successful at it? Is it because of the opportunities that you had post your career? Um, and, and a long career and, and a rewarding career, you know, financially and lots of other different ways, obviously. But, you know, you set yourself up in life. But many people who have the same experience as you, have, they have the same success as you as you have had, not just as an international player, but also in the NRL, winning championships, that kind of thing, still haven't had the same success off the field and have found it really difficult. Yeah, I'm still trying to find, you know, what I want to do. Um, but I, I guess, like you said, with with my career and what I've created, I've been able to create a reputation of who I am today and what I do. Um, the opportunities that Rugby League gave me has given me the opportunity to be really, to choose where I want to go in life and to experience all, all that's out there. It's only been most probably this year where I've really opened my eyes up to the to the world because Rugby League for me is, is something I'm passionate about that I can just fall into any day of the week because mm. that's all I know. Um, but... You know, the struggles for some people when you don't, I guess, don't maximise the opportunity that you have while you're in the game um, is we find ourselves in some tough situations outside of the game when everything's going away from you. The one thing for me is obviously routine. is That's the biggest thing for us as, as um, ex-athletes, former athletes, is you're up at a certain time. You, you live day to day because that's how you're, you're structured and you're scheduled. Your weekends are taken up because you know what's going on. So everything's kind of planned. And now there's a flexibility about life where there's no waking up at a certain time. There's no being somewhere. There's no everything's put in front of you. Um, you have to try and find something that you, you know, that keeps you ticking. And I guess the one thing for me and the, what's helped me through my whole career is my kids. Um, mm. You know, when times are tough, they're the ones that I turn to because they don't care. What, what I do um, you know if I had a good day a good game or a bad game they would say oh dad if you're lost oh, your team was shit <laughs> you know and it's as simple as that but I understand as a father you know you, you leave your baggage at the door when you yeah. go out the door and then when you come back in you got to change into being a parent and I think that was the biggest part that helped me on that journey but then also outside of the game finishing up is that I wasn't going to be the person that sat around and done nothing. Oh. Um, and I've never been a good speaker. Um, You're you doing know, pretty well. Yeah, yeah, but I've never been a good speaker. I just, I try and be who I am and, and this is who I want to be. Um, I was lucky enough to jump on some, jump on Sky and do some work there. Um, but I'm still talking about the game I love uh, and passionate about it. So I, I was never going to just sit around and do nothing. Um, my, you know, I jumped straight into the my kids under sixes coaching, um, and getting a bit of taste from that high level down to that <laughs> under sixes level is something crazy and different. But some of my best memories recently have been watching my my six or six year olds and four or five year olds run around the field laughing and running backwards because they're going the wrong way. Those, are, <laughs> you know, those those make my sad days. But I like to be out in the community. I like. Um, I like helping. Um, I'm passionate about, you know, giving our kids all the tools if they want to go down the realm of being a professional athlete, giving them the tools that are going to help them succeed and not set them up to failure. I'm I'm not big on selling them the dream because 
we all know that it's it's a tough it's a tough gig and anything can happen on that journey as well and only the the tough survive as well and a bit of luck like I said earlier a lux a blux plays a big part in in your journey and where you head to so um, passionate about the kids passionate about our, our next generation of kids coming through and I feel like my my job and my responsibility as being Māori and being uh, you know I've played so many games for not only my country uh, but in the NRL is to give all that knowledge back because like I said I could go up north and sit in the bush and no one would even have anything that I have in my head that I can give to these kids you know and I just feel like if I was to do that then I'm not doing myself justice or our, our people justice. May you continue to ride that luck. I'm pretty sure we got on record you thought Bennett was a better coach. I'm pretty sure we got that on record. But the final thing I just wanted to say is I think there's an old Komato that I used to talk to by the name of Pat Campbell. I think he'd be pretty chuffed mm. about his book. Mm. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Awesome.